You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. My name is Lawson Flowers. I'm the uh, student and family minister here at Redeemer, and it's my, uh, it's my privilege and joy to get to preach to the students each week, each Wednesday night. Uh, and it's, it's truly a, a joy and privilege as well to preach this morning um, and to sit under God's Word with you. Uh, the, you can open up in your Bibles uh, to Exodus chapter 2. We will continue today our, uh, our series in the book of Exodus. Exodus is the second uh, book of the Bible, as you know. It comes after Genesis, uh, and we see that uh, it continues the story from Genesis of the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is just a big family that went into Egypt. Uh, and by the end of chapter 1, they have multiplied into a great nation, uh, even though they are oppressed now, they're in slavery in Egypt, but they've multiplied into a large nation just as God had promised them. Uh, last week in Exodus 1, uh, we saw the dark powers, the ancient serpent who is always at war with God, uh, who's personified in the king of Egypt and in Egypt's gods, do battle against God's people and be bested by the uh, heroic efforts of two Hebrew midwives. Pharaoh said, kill all the male infants, uh, we want to eradicate the, uh, the Israelites, and they refused, and so uh, helped to save many lives. But Pharaoh doubles down, uh, right? He, the very last verse of chapter one, uh, he says, Pharaoh commanded all his people, you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but every daughter, uh, let every daughter live. It was a dark time in Egypt. Israel was oppressed in harsh slavery, and every Egyptian was legally required to execute every Hebrew male infant. In chapter two, the focus narrows for us uh, and really centers on the main character of the book of Exodus and, and really the, he's the author of the first five books of the Bible, including Exodus, and that's Moses. In just these 22 verses, we're gonna read one through 22. Uh, we, we cover a lot of time. It's 40 plus years from uh, Moses' birth uh, to his exile and his, uh, his marriage and his having a son. So it's, it's a long time, uh, time span, but we only have 22 verses. So we don't have a lot of detail. Uh, we just have a few little stories that, that, uh, that Moses gives us. Obviously, we would love to know more. Uh, we have a lot of questions, but we, we have what we need and we have our introduction to the man God will use to bring his people out of Egypt and out of slavery. So the text divides really into two uh, two sections that pretty neatly that we will uh, we'll take one at a time. Uh, the first is Moses, the miracle baby. Uh, and the second is uh, Moses, the misguided deliverer. Uh, why don't we stand in honor of reading God's word as we do each week. And we will start uh, in verse one. Exodus chapter two, verse one. Now a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant, gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with asphalt and pitch. She placed the child in it, set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Then his sister stood at a distance in order to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe at the Nile while her, while her servant girls walked along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds, sent her slave girl, looked, took it, opened it, and saw him, the child. 
And there he was, a little boy crying. She felt sorry for him and said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, should I go and call a Hebrew woman who's nursing to nurse the boy for you? Go, Pharaoh's daughter told her. So the girl went and called the boy's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse him for me and I will pay you your wages. So the woman took the boy and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his people. Looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? Who made you a commander and judge over us? The man replied, are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses became afraid and thought, what I did is certainly known. When Pharaoh heard about this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then some shepherds arrived and drove them away. But Moses came to their rescue and watered their flock. When they returned to their father, Ruel, he asked, why have you come back so quickly today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. So where is he? He asked his daughters. Why then did you leave this man behind? I invite him to eat dinner. Moses agreed to stay with the man and he gave his daughter Zipporah to, to Moses in marriage. She gave birth to a son whom he named Gershom for he said, I have been a resident alien in a foreign land. Pray with me. Father, uh, we come now to your word and we want to not only understand it, Lord, but to, to stand under it, to put ourselves under your authority as, uh, as you express by your spirit and your word. And so I pray that you would help us to do that. Um, please make me faithful to the text. Please use my weakness. Um, and I pray that your strength would be apparent in your word going forth in power. Uh, Lord, we love you. Thank you for the privilege that it is uh, to hear your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Be seated. Last week, we saw Pharaoh uh, really devalue and uh, dismiss women, right? He said, uh, you know, kill all the male uh, kids, but let the females live, right? There's no, uh, there's no threat there. Uh, and then be stymied by two women, pretty ironically, the Hebrew midwives. And the birth story of Moses, it continues that theme, right? We see three women who play key roles in uh, preserving Moses's life in this chapter. And the first is his birth mom. Uh, chapter one, uh, two, verse one says, now a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Just put yourself, imagine yourself in, in, in the story. Uh, you're a slave in Egypt at this time and you get married and have a baby. An, an ordinary act of extraordinary courage at this time. And God's people don't shy away from these ordinary acts of faithful obedience because, just because the government makes it difficult. Um, it's a little easier, perhaps, for me to put myself in, in this story uh, because my daughter, Adelaide, is not even three weeks old yet. Um, and so uh, we have a, a new one in, in the house. So if I fall asleep while I'm preaching, you'll know why. Uh, just give me a nudge and I'll keep going. Um, 
But come with me into the story. I can imagine Moses' mom, uh, who we learn from chapter six is named Jochebed, uh, being pregnant for all those months and wondering what the gender is. Is it a boy? Is it a girl? Did she feel guilty for, for praying for a girl? Did her close friends ask what she would do if it were a boy? Did she know what she would do? I can less easily imagine the normal process of birth without modern medicine and doctors and anesthesiologists. But she has, um, she has the baby, praise God for modern medicine. Uh, it's common grace. Um, and, and I can imagine uh, Jochebed holding a screaming Moses tightly for the first time, trying subtly but completely to cover up his private parts that the midwife perhaps was covering as she handed her the baby. Did, did she know the gender based on the look on the midwife's face? When she did find it, find out, did, did her heart sink? When she did see him, uh, she saw, verse two says, that he was beautiful. And this word beautiful, it's, it's, uh, it's actually a, a little bit hard to translate, the commentators say. Um, some translations say healthy, and I think it does mean he was a viable, strong child, right? A, a, the infant mortality would have been um, high at this time, and stillbirth would have been quite common. But, but I think it means more than, than that. Uh, the Hebrew word there is the, is the word for good, the same word that uh, Genesis, the author of Moses uses in, uh, in Genesis chapter one when God creates and he says, it is good. It's the same word, it's beautiful. Moses, uh, Moses' mom sees he's good, he's beautiful. Moses is a miracle child, a special child, a child chosen by God to deliver his people which will be a new creation of sorts. It'll be the birth of the nation of Israel. Somehow from God, Jochebed knows at this moment, I'm keeping him. I'm keeping him. It says she hides him for three months till he, he can't be hidden any longer. Right? And how many plans and schemes she must have tried to come up with in those three months. What can we, how can we hide him? How can I disguise him? How can I send him away? How can I save this child? But when the time came, He's about to be found. If nothing changes, he's going to die. She makes him a papyrus basket and coats it with asphalt and pitch to waterproof it. Uh, the word for, for basket, this word, um, the only other place it's used in the whole Old Testament is in the story in, in Genesis of Noah and the ark. It's the word for ark. Uh, so, so the author is pointing us back to that story, which is, of course, a story about one family being saved through water that killed many others. Uh, in another new creation of sorts, right? The, the rebirth of humanity. So the, the uh, divine and human author is tying these themes, are tying these themes together. Moses' mom places him in the reeds by the bank of the Nile. And just notice he doesn't, she doesn't push him out into the middle of the Nile. I always pictured it for some reason, of him floating down the river, which would be the stupidest thing, right? You're not, he's not trying to kill the child. She's trying to save him. So she, she nestles him in the basket into some reeds, um, maybe he was sleeping. It seems like it would be really hard to do if he was crying. So one last nurse, one last rock to sleep, one last kiss, and she leaves him to the care of the Lord. She, maybe she can't stand to watch. She doesn't, she doesn't stay around. She, she leaves. Hebrews eleven twenty three says, uh, By faith Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months 
because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. So Moses' parents, his mom, they were faithful. They, they did all they could, right? They didn't choose the, the, where, they would, where they were, but, but they did all they could and they're celebrated in Hebrews 11, this, this hall of fame of faith um, for being faithful to the Lord. Like the, like the midwives, Moses' mom feared God more than the king of Egypt who fancied himself a God. And so she did the right, though the more difficult thing. We don't get to choose the life that we have, right? We all have different hardships, different darkness, different temptations, different disabilities, different diseases, different persecutions. We all are in a different place in life. And don't you think Moses' parents would have chosen not to be in slavery where someone's trying to kill their infant if they could have? Yes, they would not have chosen this life. But that's where God placed them for his purpose. And they are to us a shining example of courageous faith. We need courageous faith where God has placed us in North America, in in the United States, in Texas in 2018. We need to be faithful to the Lord now. Moses' mom couldn't watch, it seems, but the second woman we see, who's really a girl, is, is Moses' older sister, who we learn is named Miriam. Um, and she can't help but watch, right? So now, did she choose to stay around herself? Did her mom station her there, possibly, to come to see and report? We don't know, but she's watching, right? She, she's watching at a safe distance. And this is when the third woman in the story comes. It's Pharaoh's daughter, okay? She comes to bathe in the Nile. This is probably one of many daughters that Pharaoh has. And she just just happens to come to the basket, right? We know nothing just happens. She opens it. And remember, this is the daughter of the king of Egypt, the king who has just decreed to kill all the Hebrew male infants. So this isn't, on the surface, a good result, right? We don't know what's going to happen here. This could be very bad if she just obeys, you know, her father. Um, This could be a very bad situation, but she opens the basket. And I just love the text. Um, verse six, she opened it and saw him, the child. And there he was, a little boy crying. The, the humanity. Oh, it's one of the Hebrew boys. She, she has compassion. She feels sorry for him. Miriam steps in, right? And you just have to like her, I think. She just acts so boldly and courageously here. She, she, she's, hey, I could find you, a, you know, a, a Hebrew mother who's nursing. I happen to have connections to one. Uh, and, um, you know, I could just, if you want to keep him, it's pretty easy, you know, no, no work on your part. And Pharaoh's daughter says, go. Yeah, let's do that. Um, and, and Miriam goes, and just imagine how fast she must have been running. Uh, gets her mom. She comes, and um, Pharaoh's daughter says, take care of this boy, and, and I'll pay you for it. I'll, I'll reimburse you. Uh, which I'm sure his mom was not looking for. Um, but what a blessing. Verse 10 talks about Moses, uh, Moses' adoption day, his gotcha day, when he was weaned and was able to become the woman's son, Pharaoh's uh, daughter's son. She adopts him as her own. She names him Moses because she drew him out of the water. Um, and, and what does this mean for Moses? It means, not only does it mean safety, uh, security for, for him, but it means education, he got the best education around, right? The, the best private school education on Pharaoh's dime. God is preparing Moses for his calling. 
It's, ama- it's just amazing. Like in maybe 10 minutes, Moses goes from being an infant fugitive from Pharaoh to the only Hebrew boy who is under the protection and patronage of the Pharaoh who ordered his death. It's amazing. Do you see the sovereign hand of God in this story? Before Moses does anything, and he does mighty things in God's hand, before he does anything, he's cared for and rescued from lethal, horrible danger by the sovereign hand of God through the faithfulness of three brave women. And so Israel's deliverer is incubated in the belly of the kingdom that he will uh, eventually overthrow. God accomplishes his purposes. God will not be outsmarted or outwitted. And brother or sister, um, God is accomplishing his purpose in your life. He is. We can't see it. Like you can't see it most often. That's the thing about being in the story. You can't, your story, you can't see God's plan. You can't see how everything's gonna work out. Like how hard must Moses' parents have prayed during those three months? God, please let Pharaoh reverse his decree to kill all the male infants. Please. But he didn't. God, why won't you answer? What are you doing? I bet they didn't feel like God was working for them. But he was. He was orchestrating it all. What part of your story is going badly? Is, is in limbo? Seems hopeless? Seems like great evil is flourishing despite all of your prayers and all of your attempts against it? Don't give up. God is working. God is writing your story. He has delivered before and he will deliver again. 2 Timothy 4.18, Paul says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He will bring you and he will bring me. That's Moses the miracle baby. Now we see Moses the misguided deliverer. Look at verse 11. Years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his people. Um, Moses is raised in the palace. He takes his place as one of the, the, uh, uh, an Egyptian prince. But look at, at the repetition uh, in these verses. It says his own people, his people. So it's telling us, we see Moses, he knows who he is, right? He, he, he doesn't uh, he doesn't think he's an Egyptian. You know, he knows he's a Hebrew. Uh, he, he knows who his people are and he identifies with them, right? It would have been uh, the easier path to say, I'm gonna just be this Egyptian prince and not be uh, related to these slaves, right? But he says, no, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna identify with, uh, with my people. And he sees his people's hard slavery. He sees their mistreatment. The text seems to imply he spends a lot of time going out. He goes out one day, he goes out the next day. He's spending a lot of time with with his people. And one day he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, okay? And that word beating, it's the same word that's used in the next verse when Moses kills, strikes and kills the Egyptian. So uh, the Egyptian isn't just, you know, slapping the Hebrew. Like he's beating this Hebrew to death and it moves Moses to action. And Moses intervenes in verse 12. He kills the Egyptian. He hides the body. He thinks no one knows uh, about it. Then the next day he goes out and finds two Hebrews fighting. And, and presumably he stops the fight and he asks, why are you attacking your neighbor, right? You guys are, are brothers. 
he's shocked at the violence of, of one of his people to another. And the man's response uh, is, is very interesting. He says, who made you a commander and judge over us? What, are you, you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? It, it's a little bit of an ironic response. One, because uh, God would make Moses one of the greatest commanders and judges that Israel would ever know, right? So that, that's uh, foreshadowing there. Uh, but what do we make of, what do we make of this, this story and, and this um, thing that Moses did? In, in Acts 7, uh, in, in the New Testament, in Stephen's sermon before he's stoned to death, he mentions Moses and he mentions actually this passage. Here's what he says uh, in Acts 7. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. When he saw one of them being mistreated, he came to his rescue and avenged the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. He assumed his people would understand that God would give them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. That last verse, he assumed his people would understand that God would give them deliverance through him. So, so we see not only was Moses identifying with his people instead of the, his adoptive family in Egypt, he actually knew at this point that God had called him to deliver his people. Okay, perhaps he knew from being taught the scriptures at an early age, right? Uh, kids would have been weaned much later than they are now. Uh, so it could have been, he could have been three, four, five, six by the time he, uh, before he was actually adopted into the royal house. Um, and, and perhaps he knew from the scriptures uh, that God had promised to bring his people out of Egypt. He promised Jacob in, in Genesis 46, 4, that he would bring his people back out of Egypt. And how could he not have discerned his own special privilege and God's blessing on his life from, from being saved from the river, right? His, his kind of origin story and, and the protection and education that he got in the royal family. He, 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 he could not have failed to see, I'm the only Hebrew with this kind of position. He believed rightly that God had set him apart for this purpose. And he, he saw the oppression of his people and he acts in violence he murders, and he assumes that his brothers will see that God is delivering them. But they do not. They most decidedly do not see. They reject him, and which is a foreshadowing of how they will continue to treat him through the book of Exodus. Francis Schaeffer talked about doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way. Um, he, he said, we must do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. And I think this this story is an example of not that, right? Of, of Moses doing the Lord's work in his own strength, in a human way. Here's what I mean. Moses, he's, isn't he right to see the oppression of God's people and hate it and want to stop it? Yes, right? That was wrong. <laughs> Sorry. Um, that, that was wrong. He should have dueled. Uh, <clears throat> He was right to see the oppression of God's people. And, and, and he had his calling right. He knew I'm the man to do it, right? He, that was, God would use him to deliver his people. But he didn't have the method right, right? He didn't, he didn't do it the right way. He, he acted in violence. Uh, he became a, a murderer, right? This wasn't the Lord's way. In fact, when the Lord did choose to use him, 
How would he use him? Would he, would he, he seems to be a fighter, a strong man, like a naturally impulsive and, and strong fighter. Uh, but would, would God use his fighting? Would God use him to raise up an army and come and take Egypt by storm? No, he would actually use Moses' weakness, his speaking. Right? He said, I'm not a good speaker. Go speak to Pharaoh. So that people would know and the nations would see the Lord and his mighty hand and outstretched arm has delivered the, the Israelites from Egypt and not human strength. Here, Moses acts rashly and impulsively as, as young leaders are prone to do, and, and it costs him. It costs him dearly. He has to run. Uh, he has to run for his life. He, le- he leaves all he has ever known, and he settles in exile far from Egypt in Midian. And, and it's possible, uh, brothers and sisters, for us too, to do the Lord's work, but try to do it in our own strength and in a human way. We, I, I'm afraid we do it every day, right? We, we parent, right? What is more the Lord's work than raising our kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? That's the Lord's work. That's the Lord's calling. But how often, instead of prayerfully and humbly in submission to God's word and his spirit, parenting in the strength that God supplies, do we parent out of our own strength? We yell, we snap, we provoke our kids to anger, we shame them. This isn't the Lord's way. Or, or take providing for our family. Isn't that God's calling? We should provide. For, yes, of course. That's a good thing. That's God's will. But, but instead, often of, of doing it in the power of the living Christ within us, we do it in our own strength. We try to do it in our own way. And what does that lead to? We manipulate, cut corners, make calls that don't take others into account. We stay longer at the office and we know we should. We get frustrated and angry and burn out. This isn't the Lord's way. It's important to be about the Lord's work, right? And even ministry, you can feed the homeless. You can preach. I can preach right now, right? Isn't this Lord's work? I hope so. But am I doing it for his glory and out of love for you? Or am I doing it so that you will look at me and think, oh, he's so smart. He's so good. That's, this is so dangerous and so deep. It's important to be about the Lord's work, but it's not just about what you're doing. It's about how you do it. For a Christian, the ends don't justify the means. Your goals are important and how you reach them are important and must be in line with God's word. Is there humility? Is there love? Is there trust? Is there a prayerful moment-by-moment dependence on the Spirit of God? As Schaefer points out, God will not bless you if you try to do his work in your own strength. Why would he? What glory does he get? Rather, like Proverbs 3 says, we are to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your path's straight. We live in Christ and through Christ and for Christ. And that's, that, that change is not only what we do, but how we do it. We need to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. Moses settles in Midian and one day at a, at a well, he rescues some shepherdesses, uh, seven sisters from being harassed by some shepherds. He doesn't murder them all. So I think we see him growth, right? 
uh, God is using this exile to, um, to grow him some. Um, and, uh, but we do see his, his, some of his character, I think, as a deliverer. He, he, does, he does identify with oppressed people and deliver um, them. And it's foreshadowing of what God will do through him. Uh, when the women get back from the well, their father asks how they came so soon, right? Um, so this happens often. And, and they tell him about this handsome Egyptian hero. Uh, and, and the father's like, and you didn't invite him to dinner? Um, I, I have seven daughters. I could use some help uh, supporting um, and, uh, and so he comes to dinner, he, he hits it off with the family and, and, uh, and he and one of the daughters, Zipporah, are married. They have a son, Moses names him Gershom, which sounds like the Hebrew phrase, a stranger there, uh, because he said, I've been a resident alien in a foreign land. When the writer of Hebrews, um, again, looks back on the story, so it's, it's interesting that we have New Testament uh, writers interpreting these things for us. Um, here's what he, here's what some of what what, uh, what he says of of Moses. Uh, he says, "By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, for he considered the reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward." So Moses took a winding path. But in, in God's providence, he identified with God's oppressed people and he chose to reject being a comfortable Egyptian, uh, reject the royal household, and instead to suffer with God's people. And he suffered uh, exile. But, but isn't it interesting what, what Hebrews says there, uh, that he considered the reproach for the sake of Christ, he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking forward to a reward a reward. What, what does that mean? What, what's it saying? Well, it, it says back in, in chapter, back in verse 16 of the same chapter, um, it says, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, saw these promises, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. They were strangers there, but they now desire a better place a heavenly one. They're looking forward to a city. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. Moses knew that he was a foreigner in Egypt, that he didn't belong there. But God taught him this even in a deeper way in Midian. And that's why his son is named Gershom, right? A stranger there. He's a stranger there in Midian. He's a temporary resident. Um, and this, he knew this is not my home. And, and what Hebrew says is that he wasn't just longing to go back to Egypt, his, his previous home, but instead uh, he was looking forward to a city whose architect and whose builder is God. Remember that Moses, he's our ancestor in Christ, right? Uh, the, and the Bible teaches this is, this is a reality for all of us. This should be a Christian's uh, mindset that this world is not our home. This world is not our home. We are strangers here, like Moses, temporary residents. We seek a better place, a heavenly one. We are, like Paul says in, in Philippians 3, citizens of heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The world in its current form is passing away, right? And we, we look forward to the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. John says, don't love the world or the things of the world. The love of the Father is not in you. We are not home yet. And this is both a challenge and a comfort. It's a challenge and a comfort. It's a challenge because it's a direct 
contradiction to the American dream. It's a direct contradiction to the American dream. Materialism and consumerism are, are forces, societal forces that just run deeper in the church and in our own hearts than we will probably ever know. Um, it's, it's almost our default. Like how much of your time and effort and resources and mental energy go to making your life and house safe and comfortable? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a nice sofa. Like, get a comfy sofa. But, but I am saying that, that your neighbor's kids are made in God's image, precious souls and bodies that will last forever. And so if they can't come in and sit on your couch because they might mess it up, maybe you should get another couch, like an older one <laughs> that they can sweat on. This is not our home. Or if we never interact with, with people who aren't from our socioeconomic level or our political affiliation or our ethnicity or from our country, have we, have we just bought into the lie that this is our home? Have we made ourselves too safe, too comfortable? Or, and, and listen, I'm all for wisdom with money. There's, there's conversations to be had there, but... But how big of an emergency fund should a Christian have? I don't know. You ask it. I don't know. When, when we die, will our bank accounts reveal that Jesus and his kingdom was our greatest treasure? Or will they reveal that material comfort and avoiding risk was our greatest treasure? We are strangers here. And being a stranger means tension. It means tension. Because we have different values than the world around us. And we should feel that tension. Or maybe we've drifted. Maybe we've succumbed. And this challenges us, I think, where we need it to challenge us. But it also comforts. It's also a comfort. Brothers and sisters, what a comfort that we will all go home someday. Moses was a miracle baby who escaped the wrath of the king, of king by God's protection and was raised up as a deliverer for his people. Does this remind you of anything, Christian? Does this point us anywhere further in God's revelation? I think it does. To another miracle baby, uh, born of the Virgin Mary, who escaped Herod's wrath by fleeing to Egypt at the angel's message. Another special baby born to set his people free. We see Moses, the misguided deliverer, leave the riches of Egypt to identify and to suffer with his people. This reminds us, doesn't it, of another deliverer? Our deliverer, Jesus, who left the riches of heaven to identify and to suffer with us and for us. Jesus came and he lived and suffered and died and rose from the dead for us. And remember what he says in John 14. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna take you home. Brothers and sisters, we aren't home yet, but someday we will be. Soon and very soon, we'll be going to see the king. Let, let me speak just for a second to, to um, any non-believing friends who are here. Uh, just ask you, has Jesus delivered you? Has he delivered you? Maybe that's offensive to you. Maybe you think, 
I don't need to be delivered from anything. But, but the Bible's clear teaching, if I can tell you, you're in a Christian church, so I hope you expected this, uh, that we are slaves to sin. And, and we don't need for that a pep talk or a self-help book or just, you know, to get our act together a little bit. We need a deliverer. We need someone to save us. And all the Bible points us to the deliverer, the God-man, Jesus Christ. As Christians, we don't think we're better than you. We, just, we know actually we're not. Like we are so bad that the only remedy was that the eternal son of God would come and be murdered for us. That's how bad we are. But he, he did. He did die for us and he died for you. And then he got up from death and he's still alive to this day and he will have you today if you will have him. He will deliver you if you repent of your sins, turn from them and turn to him. The same God that orchestrated Pharaoh's daughter pulling Moses out of the water orchestrated your being here today. And, and maybe, maybe you just aren't sure, you know, you, you don't know. Man, I just hope you'll take the time to read the Bible and think and, and talk to a Christian friend just to figure it out. What is, what's more important than your soul? To my, my Christian brothers and sisters, I just want to point out the, the amazing grace of God. I think Moses thinks he's done, right? He thinks, I had this position, this prestige. I had the chance. I was in Egypt. I had power, and I blew it stupidly, right? And I, I sinned against God, and, and I'm in exile, and I think he thinks he's done. But he wasn't done, was he? God's going to use him. And it's called grace because we don't deserve it. Of, you're like, man, I've blown it in my life. Maybe God had a plan for me in the past, but there's no way he could use me now. Think about how old I am. Think, like, do you know how long Moses was in Midian? 40 years. That's a long time, right? But God wasn't done with him. God was using that and he would use Moses still. And so if you think you've blown it, Man, fall on the grace of God. Repent of your sin. Come to him. Submit to him. And I don't know how he'll use you, but I'm excited to see what he'll do. He isn't done with any of us. Has Jesus delivered you? Let's pray. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.